Welcome to the Care of Souls podcast with Dr. Stuart Scott and Pastor Adam Tyson. Dr. Scott serves as the Executive Director of 180 Ministries and Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University. Pastor Tyson serves as the Senior Pastor of Placerita Bible Church and Adjunct Professor at the Masters University as well. Visit 180ministries.org and masters.edu to learn more about their programs and services in biblical counseling. I'm your host, Mark Smith, and we're thankful to bring you this next episode on Care of Souls, in which Stuart and Adam discuss practical and profound principles from Scripture to help you faithfully follow Christ. From her home in Georgia, Martha joins Adam Stewart and Carolyn here in the studio to talk through the next few chapters in The Excellent Wife, starting with chapter nine on love, a wife's choice. She recounts that she's frequently heard wives she's counseled say, I don't love my husband anymore. We were in love at one time, but all that has changed now. What these wives really mean, Martha says, is that those romantic feelings they used to have are gone and that they've replaced those romantic feelings for their husband with hurt, resentment, frustration, fear, or love for someone else. Martha points out that a wife who no longer loves her husband creates a real dilemma for herself and her family because Christians are commanded to love others. Loving others is so important that the Lord Jesus taught the second greatest commandment, second to loving God first, which is to love your neighbor as yourself, mentioned in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. And guess what? Husbands are their wives' closest neighbors. Thus, loving their husbands is something that wives must choose to do. Now here's Martha, Adam, Stuart, and Carolyn to talk about this critical truth. Well, welcome back to the podcast, Care of Souls. It's so great to have in the studio with us today, Stuart and Carolyn McGuire. How are you guys doing? Great. Thank you. Doing well, Adam. Thank you. Good. And we also have a special guest that we've had on our podcast before. We have the author of our book, Martha Peace. Martha's calling in from Georgia, and uh, she's here with us today. Martha, how are you doing? I'm well, Adam. Thank you. Good. It's a joy to have you. Our listeners want to hear more from you. I mean, you're the author of the book, and uh, you're the one who uh, we want to interview today on this special uh, chapter, this special chapter, a chapter about love, the wife's choice. Um, tell us, Martha, if you can, as we get into this chapter today, um, what is uh, about it that makes you want to talk about how a wife should love her husband? I think a lot of times when we think about marriage, we think about that command in Ephesians 5 about how a husband should love his wife. And yet here you're emphasizing a wife should be loving to her husband. What's the big picture there? Well, the big picture is as if she is a Christian, she has to love her husband, not in she has to love everybody in an agape love sense. Mm -hmm. Then there's the sexual intimacy love of a wife to her husband. And then uh, in Titus 2, it says to teach the younger women to love their husbands. That word for love is philos, love. So thinking of him as someone dear, someone special to you. So really... And truly, she is to love her husband. Yeah, I love that. And we're probably getting that principle even from John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you that you're to love one another. And you would say, yes. hey, your closest one another is your husband. So of course, wives, you should be loving your husband mm -hmm. in this way. Right. Well, it doesn't mean that she's always going to feel love, especially romantic love for her husband, but she can show love to her husband whether she feels like it or not. 
And that's kind of the essence. When you say steward of agape love, we're talking about agape versus phileo or eros. Um, tell us just a little bit more about what we're talking about, where it's a choice that you make and not necessarily mm-hmm. a feeling that you have. Yeah, it's a, it's a commitment to sacrificially give to another what's best for them. And um, I like what Martha brought up. It's in our day and age, it's, it's all about how if I feel it or not. But the, the agape is much more of a commitment, an act of the will to do what's best for the other person in a sacrificial manner. That's so, so important, isn't it? And Martha, what would you say when wives don't feel like they love their husbands anymore, uh, what may be happening? Well, I, I hear this a lot in counseling. I've been doing this counseling women, wives, for over 30 years. Sometimes they have unrealistic expectations about when they get married and then how that kind of plays out. Sometimes they are just very selfish. And anybody who's selfish is not going to... Love is not selfish. It doesn't seek its own way, 1 Corinthians 13. So they're not going to be happy if they're not humble and not and showing love instead of being selfish. It's possible that they have feelings, romantic feelings for someone else. A lot of times they think of love in just pure romance ways. Even Christian romance books can kind of tickle their ears in that area. And it's possible that she's been put on some sort of medication uh, that makes her not feel like she loves her husband. Maybe she needs to be on steroids for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. That can make you feel depressed and really pull your mood down. So there's, you just have to ask questions and find out. I just don't accept a woman saying, well, I don't feel like I love my husband anymore. I need to know more information. Yeah, for what sure. Is, what is he doing? How are you responding? Mm. That kind of thing. Yeah, and let's just assume if there is no medical problem involved, what would you say is the typical reason that a wife may say, you know, I just don't love you anymore. We used to have that spark. We used to have that romance. Uh, maybe it was the husband used to pursue me and and uh, and love me with gifts and conversation, and he's kind of lost interest too. But what does she need to be thinking about during that that season of time if she's feeling that? Well, it reminds me of the what the Lord said: "Do unto others as you would have them do unto you." It re- also reminds me of Philippians two, where it says, "Consider the other person as more important than yourself." And then in Romans 12, 21, it says, um, don't be overcome, but overcome evil with good. Mm-hmm. If, if he is not being kind to her or he is being selfish himself, then there's lots of things that how she should think about that and what she should do for him. Caroline, what do you think if somebody was just saying, hey, I don't love him anymore, uh, that's a, that's, you would say that's a, a sinful thought, that's an unhealthy thought, maybe she's trying to be honest and acknowledging it, but then she feels guilty. Uh, how would you help her to put off that thought and replace it with what? Well, I, you know, I was thinking about this earlier and just thinking how important it is 
that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength in order to do this. Mm -hmm. Because this is not something that you can do um, in your own strength. And so it is so important that you have a relationship, a love relationship with the Lord first. And then then you do it for the Lord rather than because somebody deserves it or because you feel like it, you know, it's what God commands. Yeah. And we're really placing the emphasis back here again on it's a choice, right? It's a choice to obey God. It's a choice to continue to be faithful to your spouse, whether you feel it or not. And yet, at right. some point, we'd like to feel it, right? It's okay to want to feel like I'm in love with you. So is it where we just put our faith over feelings and then the feelings come? What would you say to that, Martha? Well, the feelings may or may not come, but you can obey God. You mm-hmm. can honor Him. You can do what's right without being frightened by any fear. So you can give Him blessings. You can learn to give biblical reproofs if that's necessary. But this is, there's all kinds of reasons why a wife doesn't feel like she loves her husband. I, years ago, I met a wife, a couple that was going to the church we were in back then, and she just couldn't stand her husband. And I went over to visit her one day, and I had to. She said I had to come at a certain time in the morning, because she would clean house in the morning, and get ready for one o'clock when her soaps came on, and she would not miss her soap operas. Mm. And no wonder she didn't love her husband. No man can compete <clears throat> with something on a soap opera. So anyway, she ended up leaving him and divorcing him. Oh, man, that's so tough. Mm. Well, tell me, Martha, do you think it's more of the husband's fault or the wife's fault? I I think kind of what we're getting at here is there may be some husbands who need to up their game, right? But if she doesn't have a husband who's motivated to, to love her biblically, what is it that she could do? to help her put off that unloving attitude and to put on the, the behavior and the attitude that God would want her to have? Well, no doubt husbands need to up their game. <laughs> yes. But that's that's us, Stuart. Are, we got, I know. I know. Okay, I, hear, right. I hear it. <laughs> and, and some are really bad. I mean, mm. they're mean, they're selfish, they're abusive emotionally, as well as sometimes mm. even physically. And so... They threaten to leave their wives. They threaten to divorce their wives. They ask her to do things for them that are sinful and wrong. So you deal with his sin like just about anybody else's sin. And we can talk about that a little bit when we talk about bitterness. But it's going to hurt her feelings if he's like this and he treats her this way. And a lot of times the wives are embarrassed and they cover up for him and they don't come forward as a witness like to the elders of the church or just confronting him with his sin. They don't know what to do. When I wrote the Excellent Wife book, Lou Priolo helped me with the material, the basic material. And then he went two or three times to Jay Adams because in the book we were going to put chapter 14 resources to protect the wife 
when her husband is sinning. And when that book came out, and evangelical conservative people, it was revolutionary because wives had been taught, oh, you never say a word no matter what your husband does. So over these 26 years that the book has been out, I have seen a change in the tone, you know, of the evangelicals and in a good way. Absolutely. Yeah, we're saying to any wife who's listening, if there's any type of ongoing verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, that she needs to potentially go to the authorities if it's of a nature that would require the authorities to get involved, but certainly come to her church, and her church would have the discernment when to call the police to be involved or when they just need to handle an overly authoritarian uh, husband. Uh, Stuart, you've seen this before in your counseling. You feel like this is a, this, some people are, are struggling with it at that level, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think... Um... Between uh, the years Martha's been counseling and I've been counseling, we have seen that sort of attitude, demeanor that wives have thought they just have to be quiet, take abuse. And I, I'm, and I know you can go over, reach over the, sort of go over the, the road into another ditch in the, uh, some of the Me Too movement where everything is abusive, where if he looks at me wrong, I'm a being abused. Yeah. So that's that's the downside of the whole movement today. But in actuality, when there is true abuse going on, we want to handle that, take it seriously, uh, care for uh, not only the innocent, but we want to deal with the perpetrator in a most uh, God-honoring way, too, and deal with their sin. Absolutely. Uh, well, in Ephesians, it tells us to expose the deeds of darkness. Mm-hmm. But if if a woman is in an abusive relationship, then it's embarrassing for her. And she may be financially dependent upon her husband. And she may be embarrassed to come forward and tell anybody what's happening or afraid that they won't believe her. So you have to be especially long-suffering sometimes with a woman who is in that kind of relationship. And we always start with helping somebody get the beam out of their own eye with the, her sin, herself, mm-hmm. her sinful responses. However, if she's in a dangerous situation, that has to take priority. Absolutely. Yeah. And it may take several counseling sessions before she ratchets up enough courage and trust of you as her counselor to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, Martha, that's so helpful. And let's talk a little bit about bitterness. You mentioned that uh, a few minutes ago. What, what is bitterness and how does a wife feel if she is bitter? Well, the wife feels hurt. I've had many women tell me, I'm not bitter, but I'm hurt. But hurt is the emotion that you feel when you're bitter. And I would need to have them uh, give me some specific examples. And most of the time, the examples they give me, it would have hurt my feelings too, Mm -hmm. if my husband had done such a thing as that. So... um, That's how she feels if she's bitter, but 
if she's a Christian, she's not to be bitter and angry and malicious, but she is to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving her husband, just as God in Christ has forgiven her. Mm. So it's easy to say that and read that scripture in Ephesians, mm-hmm. but it's not easy to do yeah. when you when your feelings are going a different way. Sure. And what about the woman who says, you know, I'm not sure if I am bitter. I mean, I, I feel justified in some of my feelings because what's happening is not right. What are some common signs of bitterness that maybe she could look for to see if, if she indeed is experiencing that level of sinful you know, response to what's happening. Well, I have a list here in the Excellent Life book on page 88, starting on page 88. Sometimes it's very common for her to gossip and pass on bad reports Mm -hmm. to her girlfriends and to her mother and her sisters and whoever will listen. But I, I knew one pastor's wife who she had a lady that every morning they walked together And this pastor's wife was so angry at her husband and so bitter towards him, and she just spewed out venom to her friend about him. And come to find out, after hearing both sides of the story, she was the main problem, not him. So you have to to just know, but if she's gossiping and slandering him, passing on bad reports, that could be one sign of bitterness. If she's ungrateful, if she's judging his motives, that is very common for people that are bitter. They assume the worst about the person, even if he, I've heard wives say, even if he does a nice thing for me, he doesn't really mean it. Mm. Well, he can't win either way. Uh, he has no chance, but that's First Corinthians four or five. We are forbidden to judge motives. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're selfish. Maybe the husband is. Maybe she's vengeful towards him, and she retaliates or pouts or gives him the cold shoulder. Yeah, it's very immature when sure. a wife is pouting and won't speak to her husband. Yeah, so Martha, part, just... of, part of what we're saying is if the husband's been sinning against his wife, then she's going to naturally in the flesh feel some of these feelings. And yet we're saying these are sinful signs of bitterness, and she's got to deal with her own sin um, before she can respond God in a God-gracious, you know, God-honoring way to her husband? Well, it's a process. She's got to learn how not to answer a fool according to his folly. She's got to learn how to give a biblical reproof. Even if he is an unbeliever, she can appeal to his conscience to do what's right. She can do unto him as she would like for him to do unto her. And she can begin to implement all of these biblical principles and but don't expect it to be like a magic formula if i do this then he will do this he might or he might not Mm -hmm. so 
it, it's it's a process. We grow in God's grace. Yeah, absolutely. And that process is all about putting off, being renewed in the spirit of our minds and putting on, right? Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Mm-hmm. What, let's, let's maybe try that. How could we put off bitter thoughts and how could we replace those with the kind, tenderhearted and forgiving thoughts? What are some examples of that? Well, some examples are if she thinks he did that on purpose to hurt me, Instead, she should be thinking like 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, only God can know why he did what he did. It is my responsibility to believe the best. Or he should have known better. That's a common biblical thought. And instead, she should be thinking, how could he possibly know? I've never told him he can't read my mind. I remember years ago, my husband invited some people over for dinner. And that day, I was cleaning the kitchen, I was cooking, I was getting ready for the company. And Sanford was upstairs working on doing something with his computer. Probably it was something for the church. I didn't know what he was doing. But I was sweeping the kitchen floor. And it occurred to me, He invited those people. I didn't. (laughs) And then my thoughts went downhill from there. Then I thought, he knows I need help. He should be helping me. Mm -hmm. Well, then it really hurt my feelings when I thought that. And then he comes innocently down the steps, not knowing anything about what was going through my heart and my mind. And I was, I was crying by that time. And he said, what's the matter? And I said, you know what's the matter. <laughs> and he said, I don't know. I said, you do know. And he, and he very calmly said, I do not know. You have to tell me. And that was so reasonable. That made me mad. But then I said, you know that I need help and you're not helping me. And very calmly he said, don't you ever be angry at me because I'm not helping you when you don't tell me you need help or you would like help. I will always help you unless if for some reason I cannot, I will tell you that I cannot and I will tell you why. Mm. Well, the next day, I woke up with a fever. So I was getting sick, and but it wasn't just physically sick. It was sick in my heart. Mm-hmm. So I kind of figured out, okay, I wouldn't have acted like an idiot It maybe if I hadn't been being sick. Yeah. But it's very common for women to build up a case against their husband when they have no clue. Mm-hmm. Well, we all need to be patient with each other, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe just uh, use our words to verbally communicate what we're thinking and feeling, particularly with a husband and wife. I mean, we're supposed to be best friends, right? So if we can't talk it through, we're missing an element of good godly communication. Would you say so, Stuart? Uh, I would say uh, amen to that. And I would also say men can do the same thing with their wives and assume that their wife should know uh, what they're wanting or thinking. And uh, that's not just... um, uh, a wife temptation uh, to a wife to 
be presumptuous. Men can do the very same thing. My goodness. Well, Carolyn, give us some hope. What do we do? We're stuck in bitterness. The wife or the husband, in this case, the wife, she's struggling with these thoughts. She's being confronted maybe by her conscience or by the preaching of the word or her own time in scripture. And she realizes, I am a bitter person. What could she do that would help her? Well, the first thing you have to do is humble yourself and recognize that what God says is true. Mm -hmm. And so um, just humbling, humbly asking God to forgive you for that and starting there. And then, of course, um, starting to put on the right attitude and the right heart toward your husband, but even toward the Lord, because this, our sin is, first of all, against the Lord and then against the people that are involved as well. And then she needs to start to try to replace those bitter thoughts with God-honoring thoughts. And so uh, in, the, in Martha's book, she's talked about a self-talk log where you write down your bitter thoughts and then uh, change those thoughts to what, what, what does the Bible say and how can I uh, change those thoughts to be honoring to the Lord? And then even going a second mile and, and doing things to bless your husband and to um, be the one to take the initiative even to yeah. do that and to change the tone of how you're dealing with one another because it becomes a spiral thing where one person does something and then the other person does it mm -hmm. back and never the twain shall meet unless somebody breaks the chain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love how you end the chapter, Martha, by saying you just got to put on love, you know, for any wife <laughs> or husband, right? To put on these loving thoughts of like you you mentioned here, 1 Corinthians 13, and kind of go through all of those aspects, because that's what we're replacing the bitterness with, right? We're right. Well, one of the common things that I do with my counselees have them memorize 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, love is patient, love mm -hmm. is kind, love is not jealous, and I want them to know it backwards and forwards i want them to if if loving others is your is the second greatest commandment then we should be really good at it and every time she is patient with her husband every time she has a kind tone of voice she's showing love and it doesn't necessarily mean that he deserves it this is practically disciplining yourself for the purpose mm -hmm. of godliness. Of course, yeah. And then we can also be reminded we don't deserve God's love. But while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8, that God, He loved us, right? He sent His Son, He died for us, He's saving us, and we can respond uh, to those difficult situations in our life and our marriages by choosing to love our spouse. Christian wives who are challenged to love God and their husbands, who are their closest neighbors, should memorize and pray repeatedly 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-7. through 7. Reading from the Legacy Standard Version, Love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, does not brag, is not puffed up, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Martha gives some practical examples in the book that show wives how to apply this passage to their own hearts and in their relationships with their husbands that are very helpful. She challenges them to write down specific ways that they can apply all the aspects of this passage. And she encourages them to seek spiritually mature women in their churches with whom they can discuss these things and establish accountability. Martha concludes, Putting on love does not happen automatically. It's the greatest commandment. It should be the character quality on which the excellent wife works the hardest. 
We hope you were blessed by the Care of Souls podcast. Please pray for us at 180 Ministries and the Master's University as we seek to edify the church and exalt Christ through biblical counseling that is faithful to Scripture. Consider supporting 180 Ministries financially so we can continue to bring you sound wisdom from God's Word on these everyday topics. Visit 180ministries.org to give online and send an email to info at 180ministries.org with your feedback and any questions. We'd be grateful to hear how this podcast is helping you. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of the Care of Souls podcast as we discuss exemplary husbands and excellent wives.